today, we have the honor and privilege to hear from Terry O'Neill of Wellspring. Terry is a co-founder of Wellspring. It's based here in the Bay Area. Wellspring provides resources to help people, particularly Christian leaders, connect deeply with God and then live their lives and lead others out of the overflow of the shared life with God. They lead a program called Soul Care that takes 30 ministry leaders each year through a nine-month retreat series that emphasizes spiritual practices, spiritual direction, and community experiences. These cultivate Christian spiritual rhythms designed to promote sustainability and fruitfulness in ministry. She's on the Wellspring Soul Care leadership team and leads retreats and small groups. We are so grateful to have you, Terry, here today. Thank you so much for your willingness to discuss spiritual formation as it relates to generosity. And to help people get to know you a little bit more, I thought it'd be fun just if you could share a little bit about yourself, the kinds of things we don't learn from a Google search and LinkedIn. <laughs> well, thank you for the introduction, Christina. It's really, truly an honor to be with you and your team today. Um, let's see, beyond my LinkedIn profile, uh, I really do feel honored and privileged to get to do the work that I do. I'm, I'm grateful every day for the, the fun it is, and the privilege it is to be part of this, the team at Wellspring, and to get to have conversations on a daily basis with people about God and about their lives. It's meaningful. Beyond work, I'm married to John, and we have three grown kids and a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law, and best of all, we have a six-month-old grandson. I really love summertime and mm. long evenings on the patio with friends around a table, so I always look forward to that season. Oh, thank you so much for sharing, Terry. I feel like we get to know a little bit more of your heart for family and nature and just the commitment and joy you get in work too. So now we're going to dive in. Um, I thought we could start by just unpacking together. How do you see generosity play out in the ongoing goal of spiritual formation? God is ridiculously generous. I mean, when we look at how Jesus spent his time and look at how freely Jesus welcomed people, healed people, partied with just the ordinary people he spent his life with. I, I mean, just hanging around him as several tax collectors discovered, inspired outrageous generosity. Zacchaeus, I think it was, stood up and said, after just an evening spent with him at a party that he himself hosted, but sitting with Jesus, was inspired to say, I'm going to give away half of what I own to the poor and anyone I've cheated, I'm going to pay back four times the amount that I, that I took. So if we're going to be conformed into the image of God, generosity will absolutely be at the center of our character. Truly, God isn't just interested in our money. I, I think that's small potatoes for God as image bearers. God is interested in helping us become generous people, living out God's generosity in every sphere of our lives, whether that's you know, generosity with our time or the words and tone of voice that we use when we talk to our kids or our spouse or with the ways we interact with our neighbors or with our possessions or with our money. God wants us to reflect God's image into the world, and much of that entails becoming generous people. I just hear just so much more holism in the way you're even talking about the definition of generosity and more broadly, how money, even with the Zacchaeus story, integrates with generosity. So in our culture, though, it's really easy 
for us to separate the two conversations, money and spirituality. Um, we just don't even know how to integrate them. And yet the Bible, as we know, talks about it like 2000 times. So how do you see spiritual formation and finances more specifically integrated? Well, you know, the term spiritual and spiritual formation can suggest kind of a division of life into things that are spiritual and things that are not spiritual. Spiritual things become in our minds those kinds of things that are otherworldly and maybe even unrelated to my actual life. But this dichotomy makes it really easy to default into living our lives with what, what I call and what Gerard Hughes, who's a a Jesuit theologian calls a split spirituality. And that split spirituality says, here's my spiritual life when I'm praying or when I'm reading the Bible or going to church, you know, doing religious stuff. And then here's the rest of my life, my, my work, my family, my community, mm. my politics, my finances. And I live like these are two separate or vaguely related things. But that is not how scripture describes reality. Isaiah 6 says, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of God's glory. The whole earth doesn't leave anywhere out. There's nowhere where God isn't. Jesus described and modeled that we live in a God-permeated world. His, his words in the Sermon on the Mount, consider the lilies of the field. God clothes them or the birds of the air. No, no, no sparrow falls without God knowing about it. The sense that God inhabits and cares about all of life was, was manifest throughout Jesus's life. And then Paul in Acts 17 says, in God, we live and move and have our being. What Christian spiritual formation is about is helping us really to increasingly recognize that everything that's happening in our lives is infused with the spiritual. God is present with us in, in all of it. And in fact, is actively engaging with us in the details of our actual life. And, and it's in that reality, in reality of our lives, that God is helping us grow into the likeness of Jesus. I think it's really likely that the Holy Spirit counselor, teacher, guide is in conversation with each of us already about how we use our money. Mm. And we're being invited to tune into the stirrings of the spirit that are already happening in us and around us. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love how you're talking about like the spirituality is infused and it's, there isn't this separation, even though it's so tempting to compartmentalize. Mm. Um, and I, as you move us closer, as you talked about the Holy Spirit, I'm curious, how does this dynamic play out for you? Like when you're addressing God and you have an area of your finances, how do you um, go about discerning and bringing that conversation to the Lord? Yeah, it's a bit so, complex. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. You're grounding it in reality for me. <laughs> I had a wonderful experience with Generosity Bay Area um, a little while back where I heard truly inspiring stories about living a generous life. And I will tell you, deep inside of me, this response was welling up that saying, I want to live like that. I want to be a generous person. But if I'm honest, I was also aware of another voice in me that was feeling anxious. <laughs> and it was saying, 
like, but if I give away all this money and if I live that freely, will I have enough? Will I be able to do the things that I want to do? The truth is that both of these perspectives are part of me at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that both of these voices in me matter to God. God certainly cares about my giving and God cares very much about those who would be the recipients of my giving. Mm. But God also cares very much about me becoming a generous person. Mm. And that's a deeper process. That, that happens out of honestly noticing what I'm thinking and feeling, inviting God into that tension in my spirit about money. Because when I stayed with that conversation myself, I noticed that those questions about God were tied to my sense of security and, and where that is coming from. And, and to a fear that I really hadn't been in touch with before, that I've kind of got to look out for myself and, and, and maybe even to a scarcity mindset that panics and wonders if there's really going to be enough. And the truth is, if I don't, if I don't pay attention to that internal conversation, then I'm left having to overcome these unacknowledged hesitations on my own strength. But when I notice them and, and I give them some airtime and I ask God to be in the conversation with me in that tension, then I open the whole experience to God's grace and healing and empowerment. What if out of this, this tension I was feeling about money, I honestly invited God to be with me in my questions and mm. explore them with me? What if I could move through this whole giving experience and come to realize that maybe my identity or my security is rooted in wealth more than I realized or want it to be? What if I could experience God's presence with me and love in a fresh way that invited me to remember how deeply I'm loved by God? Yeah. The truth is there is life happening between me and God, and God is in the process of helping me to become generous by the power of the Holy Spirit in me, and I don't want to miss it. Wow. I love how you just gave a picture of this ever-evolving conversation when we can just really be honest, <laughs> bring the, the multiple conversations that are going on inside of us. Um, mm -hmm. so thank you for sharing your experience personally. And for those of us that this kind of conversation with Jesus is really new, like maybe we have some rituals we go through of thanks and praise, but we haven't really delved into this side of connecting with the Lord. How do we even start to talk about money with God in this intimate way? Honestly, before we start these conversations, maybe the warm up is, is to begin to pay attention to the false images of God that are in play in our lives and that are impacting our willingness even to converse with God honestly. There's just no way that I'm going to become a generous person if my working experience of God is that God is holding out on me or that God doesn't actually care about me or the things that I care about. We think that God is continually disappointed with us or frustrated that we haven't gotten our act together sooner or just maybe even removed or uninvolved, distant from us. And we forget that God delights in us 
truly delights in us, that God is always moving toward us with gentleness and kindness, and that God sees us as, as his beloved, and, and that the Holy Spirit is actively engaging with us, present, active, to help us to live fully into this calling to bear God's image into the world. So it's just so important that we notice and pay attention to the narratives that are in play because they impact the content of our conversations with God. And so we start, I'd say we start these conversations just by being attentive to the narratives as they reveal themselves and then offer them to God and ask God to be in conversation with us about what's really true about God and about us. So that was just my preamble. <laughs> I would so say, good. you know, <laughs> sort of that's the starting point. But then beyond paying attention to those narratives, I'd say a good place to start is with what you, we are honestly desiring when it comes to how we relate to, to our money. Jesus's opening interaction with so many people in scripture was to ask them in one form or another, what do you want? Mm. Our, our desires actually matter to God. That's a mind-blowing concept for people. The truth is if we squelch our desires or edit them down to what we think we're supposed to want, we miss the real conversation mm. that's going on in us. So I would say start by telling God what's going on in you. I want to be generous and I'm worried that if I give away this money, I won't be able to do something I want to do, say afford music lessons for my daughter, as an example. Allow yourself to notice what's true in your actual experience. And then as you stay with that, pray with that, notice and let kind of emerge what's the desire that's underneath those desires mm. like like for me as i stayed with this conversation like giving away money really matters to this group of people that i was thinking of giving money to and and i know that they'll use it well in the kingdom and i i so long to be a part of what god is doing in the world in a meaningful way and on the other hand I want my child to develop skills and have experiences that will help them thrive into the person that God longs for them to be and that I long for them to be. So, you know, I wonder, <laughs> might mm. these things also matter to God too? Mm. Maybe God also cares about the things that I care about and, and, and that cares about the people that I want to fund and, and cares about seeing my child's thriving. And, and I and so it's that process of of staying in that conversation with God and trusting that God actually wants to engage with us in these conversations about the priorities that really matter in our lives. Here's a spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry, this is a long answer, but what we find when we stay with our desires and follow them to their depths. And honestly, this may take a long time to stay in that conversation with God, is that what presents as our desire on the front end isn't really what we desire the most. Mm -hmm. Usually there's a more there. And that more is connected to something 
that only God can satisfy. In our deepest self, we want what God wants and what God wants for us, or at least we want to want that. Yes. If we haven't quite gone there, we want to want that. But we can't catapult to that place, that place of that deepest, honest conversation about what we long for the most with God. We have to start with what's real and, and allow that conversation to deepen to get to those real places with God. We have this phrase that we use in our soul care ministry all the time. Reality is God's home address mm. because it's really, it's in the real details of our lives where we discover God interacting with us and moving us forward, moving us toward him, wooing us to, to him. Wow. I love that. That quote you just said, the reality is God's home address. It's so tempting to put on this show sometimes or not talk about other certain parts of our lives and bringing our full self to know that God lives there. That's that's a, an invitation in a lot of ways for us when we get into this conversation. Um, so thank you so much for that. I think when I'm really honest and I start getting vulnerable when it comes to money, like bringing this home as we're talking to my reality. I mean, something I've noticed when I'm kind of feeling that hesitation or fear when I still also want to give is that it links back to my story when I was a young girl. I realized that I kind of get triggered um, because my family origin story was when I was three, a very young, everything in our home got stolen. Um, my sister and I were just locked in a room and a bunch of people took everything. It was supposed to be a a caretaker um, that was not going to do that, of course, but it was just one of the most earliest and like really profound memories. And now it's a very subconscious, but I think I do associate possessions and finances with the feeling of safety that you were alluding to that could happen. And I, because that I didn't feel safe in that moment, I, I make that connection subconsciously when there's less resources um, or less finances. So I guess I, I share that now knowing that everyone else listening probably has their own stories that both good and bad associated with finances and it shares a narrative that's really intimate for them. How do I grow into being a cheerful giver and how do I pursue spiritual growth with God in this aspiration of becoming more generous? Wow. Well, thank you honestly for sharing that story because I feel like you're now you're really getting us to the good stuff because <laughs> I mean, this is this is real and this isn't failure this is progress when you mm -hmm. notice when you notice that 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 fear that has formed in you legitimately out of your real life experiences our, i mean our families of origin our personalities our culture these are the actual experiences of our lives that have shaped and formed our our narratives or internal operating systems and and given your experience when you were three, it's totally reasonable that possessions equate to safety for you. And I love, honestly, that you're aware that this operating system is in play in you. And also, you're aware that it doesn't square with what you know is true in a capital with T, true yes. with a capital T, but it feels like it's true in you, in your life experience. Because this gap that you're describing between what we know is true about God and ourselves and what we experience as true is where the real engagement with God happens. Mm. 
our tendency is to try to fill that gap with our own efforts. Either things, these sort of self-condemnatory messages like, why don't I just get over it? And you know, why do I, why do I still feel scared to give or like my security is based in my positions that like, why, why am, why aren't I done with this yet message? Or we go into this sort of proactive self-help fix it mode. I'm going to overcome this on my own. But the problem with these strategies is that, is that ultimately they don't work mm -hmm. and we need God's presence and healing grace. We need to ask God over and over again to make it real in our lives, the truth that God is good and is my actual security. Effort is involved in our parts to stay in these conversations, to, to notice God's presence and action, respond to God's invitations. We are certainly not passive, but neither is God. And, and, and so acknowledging that gap creates this place that we get to very tangibly invite, ask God to be with us in this conversation and, and to bring about transformation in our lives that we cannot bring about on our own effort. So good. Yeah. Wow. Um, another kind of hang up, I guess you could say, or another tricky part with generosity is sometimes even after we've given, maybe we were cheerful even in the endeavor, we can sometimes become spent, pun intended, in giving. How can this become a place to connect with God? I think we want to foster a compassionate curiosity about ourselves. What's underneath my disappointment or resentment when that emerges when I give? I mean, maybe it's something like, gosh, God, I thought if I did this, you would do this. Sometimes I think we're looking for our acts of generosity to fill a need that truly only God can fill. Wow. This a need for significance, a need to matter in people's lives, to have a voice. I mean, these are all really good things that God cares about too. But we can use our money and even our giving to fill those places rather than offering our resources freely, responding to the movement of the spirit of God in me, because God is speaking directly into my sense of being loved and significant and having meaning and purpose in so my life. Good. Compassionate curiosity. That was really key to hear just an opportunity as a doorway to connect with God. And I've also heard from Wellspring conversations that uh, disordered attachment can play a role in our faith journey. You've mentioned attachment so far in this conversation. How does a disordered attachment with money and possessions impact our ability to engage generosity? Perhaps maybe you could start by defining it for some folks that haven't heard that term before. We form attachments to people, possessions, our health, success, our image, comfort, our desires, you know, many of these things are really good things in our lives that God desires for us. Attachments that are healthy give us freedom to engage with these things. For example, our money, our possessions, or to let them go, depending on whether or not they are helping us live into a deeper and more vibrant life with God into this calling on all of our lives to be God's image bearers in the world, bring about God's kingdom mm -hmm. in our lives. We, so we can hold these attachments lightly 
and enjoy them or let them go, they don't own us. That's sort of, that's a healthy Mm. attachment. Our attachments become disordered when we place a value on them that usurps God. So our attachment to wealth is disordered when we cling to our wealth um, to give us a sense of identity or security or power or control that is really God's place in our life. So having an ordered attachment with money means we're constantly kind of continuously Mm. wrestling with our propensity to place our identity or security or power and control in what we have or what we do. Mm. And it takes active noticing, you know, active prayerful conversation with God, active repentance, active dependence on God's help to form and hold on to healthy attachments. And again, I mean, we cannot do this on our own, but our participation and engagement in the struggle is actually part of the way that God helps us. And we, we stay with God in these conversations, how God forms healthy attachments in us. This clarifying moment really drives home for me how Um, our relationship with money directly correlates with us getting deeper in our identity with God and our sense of security and purpose and how much of a more flourishing relationship we can have with our relationship with money when those get in right order. So that was very helpful. Um, Another thing I see and talk to a lot with folks in this space is relating to decision-making paralysis. Um, I want like with giving, we want to make the right best decisions with our finances. And I don't know if you'd even call it maybe a bit of perfectionism with it or what, but I'm curious, like, how do we foster more freedom with God in giving instead of getting stuck in analysis paralysis? I think with generosity, we're invited to practice living generosity every day, you know, with all of ourselves as part of leaning into this invitation of God to become generous people. I love to to start my day by praying the Lord's prayer, right? You know, before I get out of bed in the morning and just imagine with God what it might look like today for me to live my life in such a way that God's kingdom comes and God's will is done through me and through my life as it is in heaven today. Mm-hmm. And then I, I imagine like the real things of my day that are coming, the meetings that the day holds, the people, the conversations, the needs that are around me in my you know, immediate world and in the world that we live in. And, 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 and imagine those things that I'm praying, God, bring about your kingdom through me. And honestly, that prayer always inspires me to live generously. I'm drawn to that invitation of Jesus, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That that implies a lot of spontaneous giving going on <laughs> in my life. And, and it suggests to me too that it's okay to learn by doing. I think God's heart for us in this is that it's not just about giving away money. It's about becoming generous people. So Jesus seems to be saying, just, just do it. Just don't, mm-hmm. just, just give it a shot. Just don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Just get in there and, and do it. I would caveat all this though, too, with one, one thing and that, and that is if there's a big give that you're, you're pondering and considering and can't decide, 
God may be in the hesitation also. Mm -hmm. and, and I would just invite maybe all of us in that situation to create space in our lives to pause and listen to God and, and our own hearts about this particular invitation to give and, and notice what God is stirring. There may be a deeper more in that as well. But in the meantime, practice holding your hand open and, and giving. I really like that. And practice. We don't need to be experts at every decision and every moment. You've touched on also in your personal sharing, the scarcity mindset, mm -hmm. and that's helped me in terms of understanding a, an opportunity to switch my mind uh, towards an abundance mindset when I'm thinking about choices with the Lord. I noticed though, as we get older um, and we're making more money, there's this lifestyle creep that happens. Mm -hmm. Like it's not even like a conscious thing sometimes that we're just slowly spending more, more and more as we get used to high levels of luxury, convenience, and even just as our, um, maybe our, the, the experiences that we want to share with our peers as they continue to, to have more accessible income. So I'm just seeing that this can happen really easily. How do these desires with consuming more and keeping up with our peers, both conscious and unconscious, tie into the spiritual growth conversation? You know, I would try to stay in that posture of listening to our desires without judging them on the front end. I mean, desiring those things you just talked about, desiring to enjoy shared life experiences with friends is not inherently wrong or wanting our kids to have interesting extracurricular enrichment that really help them to you know, live wholeheartedly. Those things matter to God. So there's not a formula here. I mean, really, truly, Jesus got accused of gluttony and partying too much with friends. He, he enjoyed being the recipient recipient of really generous mm. hospitality. So there's the reality of staying in that conversation and allowing ourselves to really explore those desires with God. And we hold that in combination with the reality that we follow a suffering Messiah. We live in a world that is seriously lacking in love. And so our path is going to include by necessity, suffering and sorrow. This abundant life that God invites us to always involves sacrifice. There's no story in scripture of any of our heroes whose stories sort of always follow this ever more glorious path of wealth and prosperity. Following Jesus requires us to decide daily that we want God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done innocent through us on earth as it is in heaven. And it, it's costly. It's costly to live that generously. Money gives us the sense of security that tempts us to think that we are independent and in control. Mm -hmm. And we are not. So part of the journey is getting used to being uncomfortable and stretched and, and getting used to living independence on God. And that also takes practice. And it takes practice to get comfortable relying on God's grace, genuinely relying on God's grace. I, I constantly have to return to the basics that I am beloved of God and that God is for me and cares about me and cares about the things and the people that I care about. I, I truly, I want to love God generously, but I, but I can't even do that without God's help. I need more of God and more grace just to live in the fullness 
of of life that I want and that I know that God wants for me. Thank you for that. So very beautifully said. So what practices would you recommend to cultivate a generous life with God? I don't have a sort of one size fits all sense of, of practice in mind when I think about cultivating generosity. I would suggest asking God and yourself, you know, what will help me stay in this conversation with God? For example, this growing awareness that maybe what I need is simply to like set aside time to pray and dream with God, to give some space in my life, to, to pay attention to some of these conversations that God is already stirring in me about generosity, then I would recommend, you know, recommitting to holy space for the Sabbath in your life. Sabbath is about being generous with God, honestly. It's about saying, I'll make space, God, to worship and to listen and be present with you and to cease producing for a while and just enjoy your company that I might hear you. You know, another would be like, if there's this sense that I do need to reframe my narratives about God and about how God feels about me. I would say to get in a good Bible study, immerse yourself in the gospels, you know, find a way to, to remind yourself to allow God to meet you in those questions and reconfirm with you what is true about Jesus and how Jesus feels about you and notice from scripture what what Jesus is like and how he interacts with people. I I would say even in that same question, make space afresh for regular prayer in your life. You know, getting grounded with God in these conversations doesn't happen out of thin air. It requires this intentional engagement. If you're in that place where sort of you're noticing that there's a gap, that the, that gap that we've been talking about between what you know to be true about God and your lived experience of God, what you were describing, Christina, I would say, I would consider finding like a biblically grounded spiritual director who could listen to God alongside with you, you know, sort of tune up the volume on the ways that God is already moving and stirring and present and inviting you into places of healing and growth in your life that you're longing for. Mm. And I would just put kind of an overall practice on all of this. I would just say, practice generosity. You know, <laughs> you know and enter into that, that question with God on a daily basis. What does it look like for me to be generous today? God, help me, show me, and then just watch because God will. Yeah. Putting faith in action. Yeah. Uh, and that links to my last question. What role do you think faith and dreaming big with God play in becoming more generous? I love that question because, you know, faith grows out of our actual experience of risk taking and then seeing God show up, right? It's like the difference between believing that a bike is going to hold me up if I ride it or versus actually getting on it and riding it and experiencing that not only does it hold you up, but it's, you know, it's fun to ride and it, it, it even takes me somewhere that's sort of entering into that adventure with God. I'm Personally, I will say I am confident that God will continue to help me become a more generous person because I've experienced God meeting in me and my scared little clenched fist struggles of will I have enough and I have seen God multiply my little offerings. Like Jesus did with loaves and fishes I've experienced the reality of God doing that and what is that 
build our faith. A fun idea I would suggest is just sort of getting around other generous people too. I mean, that's, that's a faith builder. One of the questions I kind of like to ask is to ask God, God, what are you dreaming about? What are you dreaming about when, when you look at your world and, and specifically my community? In my line of work, I get to find there are people throughout the Bay Area who are just doing amazing things in the kingdom of God. I have learned so much and been inspired by others who are out living their lives generously in all kinds of forums. I would encourage us all to pay attention and notice we might be the kind of person that could come alongside some of the things that God is already dreaming about and doing through other people's lives and, and, and be blessings to those people and support them. And through our generosity, allow the kingdom to flourish in ways that God is longing to bring about. I love how, yeah, you just, the bicycle analogy really sticks with me. So just a difference between writing it and knowing like how it would work and that a lot of this plays out with community and mm -hmm. continued dialogue of, yeah, God, what, what is your heart in this area? So, so good. Um, thank you so much for just giving an illustration of this very intimate and adventurous life behind underneath money, really, when we engage with the Lord. And thank you just for everything, for your wisdom, your personal sharings, your incredible, incredible graciousness you model that feels like the kindness of Lord, the Lord towards us amidst the mess of it all and the vulnerability. Um, and also your incredible faithfulness as a as someone who's committed to ministering to those in the Bay Area, I I just am being so committed to the adventure that he's called you to. So Terry, thank you, thank you, thank you um, for your invitation to just have a more intimate, vibrant conversation and connection with our Lord. Um, thanks. Thank you. It, honestly, it's an honor and privilege to be with you and so grateful for the amazing work that you and Generosity Bay Area are doing in the kingdom. And for all of those who participate with your organization, blessings as we all seek to grow in this journey of generosity. May God bring about in our lives what we all so long for. Amen. Thank you. Yeah.